you. Thank you. I'm going to act right now like I'm not scared. You know, it's like my son one time fell on his bike hard and he got up laughing. And I knew he was hurt. Right? So if I don't look afraid, I'm doing right. But it is a little frightening being up here in these lights. Let me get my uh, plug in here. Wonderful. Now, hello. Good morning. Um, it's a wonderful day. What a week. I just got back from an awesome vacation, had a men's breakfast yesterday with a good word from Steve. Now's my favorite caterpillar. And if you don't know that, he was actually on the floor caterpillar and it was awesome. That's, that's service right there. Before I get into the message, a little PSA, and that's usually a public service announcement, but this one's a personal service announcement. The Bible has a lot to say about widows, a lot to say about parents. The last few years, my mom has been a twofer. My only parent and a widow. It would be impossible for me to love her more or for me to be more grateful to her, although I could always show it a little more. I was a single dad for part of my life. She was a single mom for part of her life. My wife as well. My mom endured hardship until she met a man that she loved and that loved her until death did they part. I also endured until I met a woman that loves me and I love until death do we part or until she kills me. So that one's still a possibility. Obviously, where I'm at now, Jesus is in my life and he loves me. He's in every nook and cranny and it's awesome. My biggest proof in the last couple years has been my wife's absolute love for my mom in the form of service and friendship. The the relationship between them is a source of great joy and contentment for me. And I want to tell them publicly how much I love them and thank them. And how much I enjoyed our vacation. I don't know who who could enjoy a vacation. Mom and a mother-in-law and you. It was was awesome. So it was awesome. But I, I want to thank God and stand for a quick soapbox to tell them how wonderful they are and just have a minute to do that. So let's pray for the message now. I've got my brownie points. Okay. Lord, just this message is from you, Lord, and you were faithfully give it to me, and you'll be faithful right now when I deliver it, and I just trust you. And if I mess it up, oh well. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And that's the truth. If you mess it up, oh well, you come back. We're not going to get too deep today. In honor of all the dairy farms around CUNA, I'm going to try to keep to the milk of the word, and I won't skim off any of the truth. Okay, so that's for you uh, dairy guys out there. Uh, let me tell you why I think I'm here in this honored spot. Pastor Stan says there will come a time when this spot is not so honored, and it may be well fast approaching. But for now, the Bible says that, but for now, forget all that. It's me here in this most honorable position. I'm here because Pastor Stan, while absolutely not perfect, all you got to do is count his toes. He's done it too well. Him and his whole darn family. He gives us by example the blueprint to live a Christian life. He oversees the church that I'm lucky to have found. You know, a couple months ago, Pastor walked up to me and says, do you know your tags on your truck expired in 2019? And I don't think I answered him because I didn't know and I was thinking about it. And he was right. That would never happen to him because he's... He's to him. <laughs> I'm me. It'll happen again. I, I was pretty amazed. I didn't know I was that incompetent, but <laughs> thank you for that, by the way. I mean, his integrity and devotion is on full display, and he is truly a man that I want to blah, 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 blah. Okay, I love him. I love him. But it seems too easy for him. I think that's why I'm up here. It seems too easy for him. Look at him just sitting there being all godly. <laughs> I'm also here because Pastor Stevie preached last week, and if he preaches two weeks in a row, he's going to burst into flames. 
His passion simply cannot be manufactured. It must be harnessed for the safety of us all. He tells us how crazy he used to be, but that new creature in Christ scripture, he must have really bought in because your boy's on fire for the Lord. I love him. I'm also here because Pastor Stan knows and loves his sheep. He knows that God will leave the 99 to chase the one, but that the 99 don't just stay in a nice group waiting for him to come back. We wish he would. Some do. Some do. Like we said, I've had Mark and George Ann, 20 years here, diaper kids that are still here. Some just wait for God to come back. Some don't. Um, basically, some just look around and want to see what happened. Where'd the one go? And then when they find out, they start telling other people. And then others are just angered that that one left. Who does he think he is? Right? So... That's the way. Then you got some of us, some of the 99. And I actually think, thank God that I'm actually now one of the 99. I've always been the one. <laughs> Go get Scott, fool. Now I think I'm one of the 99. <sighs> but I'm one of the 99 that still gets scared and distracted when I think the shepherd's gone. When, he's, when I don't feel him, when I don't know he's here, <laughs> I can go stray. Pastor Stan is lovingly allowing one of his sheep to share with you the word he got from the Lord about staying. It's a fight, but it's also the name of my message. Thank you. Staying Christian. That's the message. Not to be confused with the guy I don't want to be, straying Christian, or the guy that's fooling himself, playing Christian. No, no, no. My whole focus is on staying Christian. And I've I said many times before, you know I'm on the level because the bubble's in the middle. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lord. <laughs> the only other pastor I ever had... Pastor Bill Schultz used to tell that joke from the pulpit. It was funnier coming from him because this bubble was really big. But thank God mine's not. Okay. Now, in order for you to be a Christian, you need an ID card. I'm sure you all have one as well. All the necessary information is there. As you can see on the right, the expiration, it's forever. It never ends. On top, I put class. I put D for disciple. I know that's wishful thinking, but that's what I want to be. And of course, my endorsement is from Jesus, duh. There's no other name under heaven given among men where we must be saved, right? And then under the restrictions, I stuck Luke 137 because it tells me that with God, all things are possible. So I put it in there so I won't have any restrictions. I can drive anything I want. And in the name of honesty, I NA'd the hair question altogether. We just left that one alone. If you look on the bottom right, you'll see that I'm a donor. And why not? God so loved the world that he's donated his only begotten son to us. So of course I'm a donor. Now some of your data on your ID card may be different because there are so many Christians in the world. Okay. Um, there are so many Christians in the world. How many are there? I'm glad you asked that question. Yeah, yeah come on, work with me. According to the great and powerful Oz or Google, here are the stats. There's 2.5 billion out of 7.8 billion Christians in the world. There's 2.5 million out of 330 million in the United States that profess to be Christian. And in Idaho, there's 1.4 million out of 1.8 million. And on the surface, that looks, well, thank you. Hey. On the surface, it looks promising. It goes from one-third to two-thirds, almost three-quarters. But if the U.S. and Idaho actually voted that way, we be, wouldn't be in any messes today. Right? If 1.4 people at Idaho voted the same way, so Christianity doesn't mean the same to everybody. Close quarters Christianity is where we, one of us, every one of us can start to make a difference about being a Christian in our community, in our church. If we look at our, our community, 
12,000 out of 25,000 people are Christian in CUNA, according to Google. 400 out of 405 in this very church. I'm not sure why CUNA dropped below 50% with all those good people here, but the CUNA number is straight out of Google, while the CLC data is from my own silly mind. I'm hoping a little bit that some of you here will think you need an ID card, and there's five of you worried that you don't have one. Okay. Here's the quick disclaimer I'm going to give you. By grace you are saved, through faith, not of yourselves, it's a gift to God, no ID required. I just thought I'd show you my ID for a while. Okay. Now let's look at you. Closed quarters Christianity is where it's just you and God. There's no hiding. You is or you ain't. And if you ain't, see that? He ain't. And if you ain't, well, then whatever I say going forward will probably sound like foolishness to you. Because the Bible sounds like foolishness to those who don't know Jesus. But to those who know Jesus, it would be the power of God right here, right now. Once I made my decision to follow Jesus, I had to admit there was areas I needed to improve. How am I going to get all the parts of my life to go in the same necessary direction? Oh, Lord, I'm serving you now. Shouldn't it all just start lining up? Just start lining up and then thus say at the Lord, uh, no. And here's why. All these squares represent an area of need for me. Areas I have control over or should have control over. Look at them all. And that line joins them all to me. That's one big thing of my life. When I came to the Lord, every one of those were something I need to work on. Pastor Stan said before, there's certain sins like a sexual sin that really, can really hit you hard. I left the squares the same because I don't want you to know which sins are mine. <laughs> so there's a bunch of them right there. But for someone like me, and let's have a show of hands of someone's like me that had a lot of stuff to work on when you came to Jesus. Okay, good. 74 people not telling the truth. Um, that's my opinion. I'm sorry. Ah. Uh, there's a lot of areas to work on. The Bible says that we need to cast down any argument you could have on every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and to bring every thought to captivity to the obedience of Christ. So do you think he's talking about all areas? Yes. All areas must be surrendered to Christ. The willingness must be there. And when the willing's there, your lines all point to Jesus. So if you look there, again, he didn't correct them all. You've just given them access to all. Right? And you got to start working on them. The willingness must be there. And when it is, a miracle happens. Amen. By God's grace, you are saved through faith, not of works, not by improving, so you don't get the credit. On one thing, I made a chart like this at work to show them how I did something, and they said they need a little more detail there. Right? <laughs> that ain't going to work for a chart at work. But here, Jesus is Lord. We don't need more detail. A miracle happened. He saved us. At this point, now I'm saved, and I start concentrating on improving my many faults and eliminating some behaviors, and it would get too much for me. I could do some of it. Next slide. I could do some of it, but not all of it. It would get too much for me every time. I could do some, but not all. You know that when a person gets out of prison, they have to go on parole. There are a number of requirements to successfully complete parole. You gotta meet with your PO, you gotta pay fines, you gotta go to meetings, you gotta pee in a cup and they ain't checking your aim, right? You are perfect in all of these areas, but you mess up one, you go back to prison. You could be really good in all these, mess up one, you go back to prison. That's the way my life was. And then now, since I failed one, I know I'm going back and I'm talking about just sinning, so I go off, right? And if you look at the next picture, 
I don't look much different than I looked on the other side. Still have the same problems, still the same stuff. I'm a Christian, but I have to wear, I couldn't do it by myself. But wait, we're not talking about jail where that kind of stuff happens. We're talking about Jesus. And if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna need to know how he can help me because I got saved in salvation. Didn't make me stronger and it didn't make me smarter. It just made me saved. And we gotta do the rest. In the beginning was the word, slide. And the word was God, was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him. Without him was nothing made that was made. That's funny thing, but you must confirm this is where you start. You have to confirm that Jesus is where you start and where it all started. The alpha, the omega, your cornerstone, the foundation of the building project we're doing. He is my, he is your, he is our true north. True north is your orienting point. Your fixed point in a spinning world helps you stay on track. It's derived from your most deeply held beliefs, values, and principles you try to live by. It is your internal marker, unique to you, representing who you are at your deepest level or who you want to be at your deepest level. Because at this point, being a new Christian, you're really just confirming that you desire Jesus to be your, your true north. This is not required to be a Christian. He's required to be a Christian. You're just out of change now. So he, you don't know because your compass is still broken, but at least now you know it, right? So you're saved, you're still messing up, but we still got to fix that compass. When you put on Jesus Christ, he gives you a new compass, one that is calibrated differently than the old broken one. Did you know that your old compass always pointed you to magnetic north, like every compass out here, magnetic north. That could easily represent the things that pull you in, that attract you, right? Where now your new compass, the Holy Spirit, always points you to true north. So what is this new compass really pointing you to? I'm gonna show you something up here and it was basically, I'd never seen it anywhere else, but I took true north and as I looked at it for a minute, the slide shows you that looking a little closer, you will see that true north is simply pointing you to the truth. And what is the truth? For the law of, for the law of, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father through me. Then no one comes to the Father except through me. <laughs> then Jesus said to those who believe in him, if you abide in my word and you are my disciples indeed, you will know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So if we follow the logic there, truth came through Jesus Christ. And the truth is that Jesus Christ is the only way of God. We can't live an acceptable life or get to God without abiding in Jesus. If we know him, he makes us free, not our actions. If the son of God has made you free, you are free indeed. Amen. Now you're free to work on not staying a Christian. That was, it's, it came out wrong, right? That is settled unless you decide not to follow Jesus anymore. But you're free to work on being a staying Christian. Okay, hear that, a staying Christian. One that learns to stay when trouble comes. Marriage, whatever. You learn to stay when trouble comes, when doubts come. A staying Christian when the magnetic north or your old truths start coming back, and they do come back. A staying Christian when you totally screw up, you stay with the truth that you were saved by grace through faith in Jesus, not the fact that you didn't screw up. When tragedy hits, while you are crying, you stay with the fact, the truth that God knows and he's promised that you will get through it. Not the lie that you can't take it or somehow deserve it. 
when your kids go astray, you stay with the promise that when they're older, they'll return to the Lord. Not to lie that they're gone, no matter what your eyes and your heart tell you. In all these instances, we feel, we reject what we feel, but man, we still feel it. We feel uncertainty, pain, doubt, because those are our old truths without Jesus, our defaults, our magnetic north. We gotta fight him by staying with this truth that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we ask or think. We have to stay where the truth that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we ask or even think. We gotta stay there in spite of our feelings, in spite of what we see. And that's where we're talking about this closed quarters Christianity. Where do you stand in your closed quarters Christianity? In your head, in your heart, not your presentation. Are you staying in the truths or living out your emotions? Just between you and him, are you staying in him, growing in him, trusting in him? And that's just all he wants. My hope for today is that if you do not know Jesus, I'm introducing you to him. And if you already know him, I just wanna share a little bit more what I thought I found out. A while ago, I think I figured something out. I started prioritizing improving someone else's life rather than my own behavior. I could waste every minute of every day trying not to do this or make sure I did that. But the truth is when you're helping others, your behavior is improving. <laughs> That's just the way it is. You were, you were looking at a mirror before, now you're looking out the window. You're seeing what you can do. Your improved behavior is a byproduct of your salvation. It's not the reason for it. God didn't save you just to be a better person. He already told you nobody's good, not one. You just gotta try. It's hard to find yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time when your whole aim is to be in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. When I'm in church for that hour, I, I don't get in trouble, right? You go to Bible study, you don't get in trouble. And then hopefully your friends expand and when you're with them, you don't get in trouble because you're not with the other, oh, blah, blah, blah. That's how you work it out with fear and trembling, by the way. Let me give you a factoid. You can self-improve without serving another human being but you cannot serve another human being without self-improving. Yeah, write that down, write that, take a picture. <laughs> it's very true, and if nothing else, that's how your Christianity takes off. Amen. And I'm not the one saying it, Jesus is our example here. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him, nor is a kid greater than his parent. I threw that in there so you know the, the hierarchy. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He's just telling us one thing, service above self, right? If Jesus has got you, prove it by looking to somebody else. You, all your time on yourself, you probably don't trust him. I don't know. But service above self is a message here. He makes it clear in Mark 10, 45. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now in my mind, he isn't asking me to give my life as a ransom for many, mainly because my life wouldn't pay the ransom for many. My death without Christ could only pay my own personal debt to God, just like every one of us in here. So being the genius that I know I am, he's telling me to serve as he served. And remember, his service to us was really not washing your feet. It was in the hanging on the cross and the dying. That's what he did for us. So the service I'm offering to him must be true as well. Right? Here's the saying, I got one. If true service is beneath you, then true Christianity is beyond you. Right? And 
I'm not judging you. Don't take it wrong. I'm not judging anybody's walk with Jesus. Your salvation does not come by serving others or by self-improvement, but by accepting Jesus's service that he rendered to you. You haven't done anything, so don't think by serving. You haven't earned salvation. That's just what you do, okay? I'm saying that I love because he first loved me. He showed me how. Forget your problems, love, and I will serve. I will serve because he already served me. I'm already saved. We in the United States love our service members, all branches, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, National Guard, Weeblos. You know, we love them all. We love them simply because they're willing to serve us in ways where death is a possibility. And the military, I was a military man, never in harm's way. So I know some of my friends out here, Matt, that were. So, I mean, that's, that's tough. Thank you. That's, thank you for thanking them. Um, okay. Jesus Christ. They, they served that way. Death's a possibility. Jesus Christ has served these and every one of us in a way where death was a certainty. And he did it while being tempted in all ways we are, including fear. His words in prayer asking that the cup be taken from him says he was afraid. So fear wasn't and isn't a sin. Someone needs to hear that here. I believe it. I said in the first service, but I mean, I'd probably get any room and someone needs to hear that every time. Your fear is not a sin. Your fear is not paralyzing. It's meant to move you, to motivate you. His actions by going willing to the cross shows without a doubt that he overcame those fears. And I want to know how he did that. I want to know how did he have the strength to do that while he was in his human state. And it's not impossible because military men do it. They go to their death. It's not as valuable as Jesus dying once for all but they have the same attitude running towards death. That's awesome. And like, again, thank every one of you for that. But understanding, I want to know how to do that. And Jesus right here, he was walking to that cross, knowing he's getting torn up and he was a human like we were. Let's look at what God tells us to do when the time comes for us to stand tall. Maybe not necessarily in battle or against Satan himself as Jesus did, but adversaries just as big to us. Our addictions, our angers, our fears, our old resurrecting self, the old dog coming on back. That happens. God says to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you can be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rules of the darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So take unto you the whole armor of God that you can stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the helmet, ah, the, the shield of faith, we can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always prayer and supplication in the spirit. That's what he says we need. That sounds deep. <laughs> it really does. It's a lot of pieces of armor. And what if I don't get it on correctly? Right? I've heard pastors spend whole sermons on making sure you put on the armor correctly and that you understand how to use each piece. And I'm just not comfortable with that because it sounds like I have too much to say about the outcome. Like they're going to push me out after all my armor's on. I don't trust me. And how is armor going to protect me from spiritual wickedness in high places anyway? It's all very weird at first taste. It doesn't make any sense. But as you get further into the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, you read 2 Corinthians 10, which figures it out. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, like the regular armor, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing 
that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Anything that comes against God, we're putting that down. So with that in mind, we understand the armor, in my opinion, is spiritual, not physical. It's made up of spiritual disciplines that will allow you to stand against any of the wiles of the devil. Truth, righteousness, gospel message, faith, salvation, word of God, prayer. Those are the seven armors. So let's read it again. And I'm not even comfortable with that picture up there. So we're going to look at what I would look like if I'm doing it. Finally, my brother, trust in the Lord and in his power. Put on Jesus Christ that you may be able to stand against the junk that's going to come. For we do not wrestle against people, but against their ungodly ideas, against powers given to them, and against the rulers that make horrible laws, against spiritual wickedness not of this earth. Therefore, take up Jesus Christ, that you will be able to stand your ground. And by taking him, you have done everything you can to stand. Jesus is my true north. He's my truth, the belt that holds up everything else. He's my righteousness, my chest and heart protector. He's my chest protector when evil comes, but he's my heart protector going out, being careful what I say to my family and to others. He protects both ways. That's a very valuable piece of armor there. My feet are protected and directed by my knowledge of the gospel. You can't, you can't have it if you don't know it. My faith in Christ keeps me grounded and my belief in his promises shields me and helps me to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked that are still getting shot at me. Right? We all, they don't stop shooting. And I take my salvation, which allows me access to heaven, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, which allows me knowledge of Jesus. And with those knowledge, I pray. Thankful, grateful, always trying to stay in the Spirit. And understanding, finally, I think, just what exactly the whole armor of God is. Jesus is the whole armor of God. Jesus is all you need. His truth, his righteousness, his gospel, his faith, his salvation, his word, and his prayer. In a nutshell, his protection. The fiery darts will come, some will hit, and some will really hurt. But all will be quenched and defeated, not by your action or by your slick use of his armor, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And to show you, I really started looking into this I'm going to put up one slide here. If you want to look at this slide, you can take a picture of that slide that on the right has a scripture for every piece of armor. But we're going to go to the next one and start looking at them one at a time. John 14.6 is what truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. If you can truly believe that, you know truth. So when somebody brings some junk that may be quick to the ears, like the Bible says, you can just shut it down with, no, no, no. He said he was the way, the truth, and the life. So how can you be? Or whatever. You live in that truth. Second one is the gospel. For he made him, I'm sorry. Second one is righteousness. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So the truth is, Jesus is the truth. And you are being given his righteousness by what God did by making your sin his. That's what we're trying to get in this. That's what you, when you understand this stuff, you start getting stronger in the word. That is the armor, is the understanding of what he's done. The truth, the righteousness, gospel. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And that's, I mean, you either believe God and you don't. And if his word obviously is the power of God, but it's foolishness to a lot of people. And I listen to it and I hear people and it's just like, it's almost... Democrat, Republican can't agree on nothing, right? So now it seems like a Christian and non-Christian, the most core thing, we're so far divided. And it's, it's people would rather try to make, maybe change somebody politically than religiously because you're saving their life if you can get them from non-saved to saved. 
All you're doing is have different arguments if you go different politicals. So let's go. And the next one is faith. And we're not talking about faith in the system, faith in anything. Without faith in God, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And that's, that's deep because I know some unhappy Christians. I know some people that think that, you know, I'm serving God. It says you're supposed to be a reward. No, he rewards you. He's not a punisher. You're the punisher. You've punished yourself enough. He's the savior. Sword of the spirit. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. I don't know what that means, but it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart, which means that knife's gonna cut you up. You might have a story to tell. You get to the Bible and he cuts up all your intentions and finds out your real motivation Maybe my motivation up here is I want y'all to think I'm cool and I know my word. But it truly, my motivation is just serving God and hoping it comes out good, right? That's the sword of the spirit. It's gonna look at your thoughts, gonna look at your intents. It's gonna tear everything up and build it back up in his image, what he wants you to be thinking, if you let it. Um, last one, prayer. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done to you. Ask whatever you want and you'll have it. I guarantee it. But this is not a name and claim it. He says, if you abide in, my words abide in you. And I, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will, which means you'll ask for the right thing. If you're asked for a million bucks, not sure you're abiding in him and he abiding in you. <laughs> you're abiding in that car you want to buy. So that's the, tr if, if you have a problem with your prayers, are you in the spirit? You know, is it always you? You know, you want to make an effective prayer, make it not about you. That's the best way. And you're pretty much telling God, you know what, God? And I tell him all the time, you got me. I need help for this person over here. And you're really giving him faith that he'll do it. So that's what the armor of God is to me, another introduction to Jesus Christ and a pretty good explanation of how he can use his attributes and his promises to see us through anything. And usually right through the middle of anything because God don't go around. He needs you to go through stuff He's not, he's not here to rescue from stuff. He's here to be with you through it. So you come out stronger and you can tell everybody else how you did it. Right through the middle. But all of this simply to be a better person? No, the Bible says there's nobody righteous, no, not one. The reason for your salvation is Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Not just to be good, to do good. And if he prepared stuff in advance for me to do... Did I miss some of it by taking too long to be a Christian? Did somebody else have to sweep up my good deeds? Because I wasn't there. I don't know. He might have known when I was going to turn, and that's when he started. But I, I kind of makes, oh, wow. Did I miss some stuff for you, Lord? And how can I make it up? Right up there used to be the words, love God, love people. Still love, uh, leave change, live change. I believe I've done that in this place. But love God, love people. You, you have to do the first, love God to make the second possible, to love people, because they're just not that lovable. You can't really be succeeding in the first, loving God, without doing the second, loving people, because he doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need, he needs, he needs you to show your love through other people, okay? You want to serve God and tell him that you love him? Find a way to serve somebody else, and he'll know what you're trying to say. He'll get what you're trying to say. And do not wait till you're fixed to start. You come as you are, you start as you are. The walls of Jericho came down at the shout of the people through God. 
but the stage was set by a hooker and her lies. Right? Salvation for them came through hookers and her lies. The city came down and they were saved through her. Um, God's pleasure or displeasure with us isn't based on our good or bad behavior. Of course, we want to be as best as we can, but we never can be. It'll never be good enough. So it's based on whether we exercise faith in him. Acts of faith are what please God and nothing else. You may be doing something great for God and apologizing for your behavior at the same time. Would it be worse just apologizing for your behavior? Right? So don't wait till you're fixed to try to do good. Do good now. And that's kind of what fixes you. It's kind of what makes you feel good about yourself. I know all about shame. Joshua 2 states, Jin Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies to Shittim, go look over the land, especially Jericho. So they went, entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. And there are no explanations in the Bible, but the wives of the two guys must have said, what? Right? Why'd you go to Hooker's house? <laughs> right? Rahab's a prostitute, enough said. But who are these two dudes that hit a new town and immediately find themselves at her pad and stay there with an intention to do God's work? And you know what the, the trippy part is? They did do God's work. They did scout the land and come back and make a deal with her. But did they happen there? Right? Why did they go there? Why didn't they go to the dairy farmer's thing and work with that guy? Maybe she, they could have hit him. I don't know. But there's no explanation. Rahab's a prostitute, enough said. But who are these dudes that, that do this? With, with, you know, I'm not going to go any deeper in the story. But do you see what God has to work with when he, when he deals with people? Right? They could have just went there and went right to the church and sat there till it was time. But God had a plan. Now, maybe he sent them there. I don't know. But if you were the wives, you would have a question, wouldn't you? There are some of us that do not feel worthy to be a Christian. Do not feel they're doing very much considering what God has done for us. And I want to tell each of you, congratulations, you're growing in the Lord. (laughs) Because you're correct. You aren't worthy. You never will be. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then we became worthy. Don't tell me that God can't use you or change you. To those who have had bad medical issues or suffered terrible loss of a loved one, is it possible the greatest mercy that he afforded was a quick trip to him? And I don't know. I'm sorry if it, I I don't know. But I've, I've thought about that. Through the very act of living this life with Jesus, we are guaranteed days of great joy as well as days of great sorrow. What makes the joys great is the ability to share them and him with others. By the same token, our greatest sorrows are made a little more manageable by sharing them and him with others. A staying Christian doesn't have to be a strong one or even a good one. He just has to be a real one, trusting in Jesus that his blood is enough. Thanking Jesus, whether in good times or bad, when my old self comes up and he will, oh, wretched man that I am, who would deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. As I finish the message, I know there are some out there that can speak to this presence of Jesus in their life. I'm one. You've been healed, whether it be medical or mental. You are a testament to others that he can do it. Corporately, while this song is sung, let's reflect on the areas that have changed in our hearts and our lives and sing in confirmation that those changes we experience had to be from God. Remind yourself where they came from for the next one. We know that. We aren't proud of the changes. We're grateful to Jesus for them. If anyone here lacks faith in God, in one of these areas or any area that you look around you and see the changed lives, understand that his truth is absolutely for you too. And be encouraged. Then now I want you guys who is seeking God. Anybody seeking God. Whether you know him or not. You just want a little touch to act as a faith offering to him. Raising your hands in surrender during this song. By taking this stand. 
you are saying that you believe that he is and that he is a rewarder to them that diligently seek him. Let's worship together.